0: Welcome to this live insights podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting Network as part of the Halifax uh, Chambers Economic Forum. Uh, My name is Don Mills. Our guest today is the Honorable Tim Houston, the Premier of Nova Scotia. Welcome back to the podcast, Premier.
1: Happy to be back, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, the last time that you were on the podcast in 2021, you'd only been in office a short time. Uh, Now that you are uh, experienced three years in, Uh, of your mandate, Uh, I'd like you to think back uh, to when you first became premier uh, uh, and and answer the question, what would you consider to be your government's most important accomplishments to date?
1: Well, listen, thanks, thanks for the question. I remember that first time I was here Um, A couple years ago, my hair was still black then. No, it wasn't. (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) Uh, But listen, we were obviously elected on almost a singular promise to fix the healthcare system, to focus on the healthcare system, make sure people can access the healthcare they need when they need it, where they need it. So, so that's been our our focus through our first budgets. And and I think if if I look back, uh, a couple of things. uh, First, the, the Patient Access to Care Act that we passed in the legislature um, last, last spring is a significant, significant piece of legislation. And I, I remember when I was running uh, to be the leader, there's always lots of highs and lows in campaigns. And I remember one day I was driving to, to Halifax and I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, look, he said, uh, you'll, you'll be leader. Um, at that time, that seemed like a far away. And he said, and you'll definitely be premier. But my question for you is, um, is anyone gonna care 15, 20 years from now? Is anyone gonna care that you were premier? And I actually think that this Patient Access to Care Act, uh, which which other jurisdictions are now starting to follow, uh, is the real legacy, a piece of our government so far. It it has to do with common sense credentialing, uh, you know, so a healthcare professional, a doctor in the UK in good standing, uh, good enough for the UK? Good enough for us. Like, get some of this, uh, you know, some of the some of the paperwork out of the way. So, common sense credentialing, expansion of scope, you know, letting people do what they're what they're trained to do, and uh, getting rid of some of the some of the red tape. So, the, the Patient Access to Care Act, I'd say number one for sure. Uh, number two <clears throat> would be the uh, the app that we have come up with, the Your Health NS app. This is a this is a powerful um, this is a powerful app, um, and it, it does a number of things. So you you can go on there and book your blood tests or your x-rays but but the thing that i'm most proud of is is to get get care you can press get care and it'll kind of walk you through a bit of ai and a chatbot and direct you to what might be appropriate so you maybe you can go to a pharmacy and there's one 4.8 kilometers from you and it's open till 10 do you want to book an appointment you can click right there so this app is a is a powerful is a powerful tool um, I think it has a, over 200,000 downloads uh, since November, so it's, it's people are downloading it, they're using it, and and um, we'll continue to add functionality to that. And I guess so. So, Patient Access to Care Act, the app, uh, and then I'd say the um, the, uh, the the labor uh, negotiations we've had, the contract settlements we've reached, particularly in healthcare with doctors, with nurses, uh, it, you know, other healthcare professionals as well. Um, those are significant. Things as well. <laughs> we need our healthcare professionals here. We need to we need to keep them here. We need to recruit more, and so we we went through a you know we had a, a kind of a, a approach to like I believe in collective bargaining, true true bargaining. It's not always you get what you want, but you have a honest negotiation about it. So we've done that and we've reached, we've reached uh, I think, fair contracts that are fair for Nova Scotians um, and, and certainly fair for our healthcare professionals. So they're, they're, that's critical to moving healthcare forward. But I think the Patient Access to Care Act, the app, um, and uh, the, the fact that we have kind of the, the, labor, the labor situation that we have here, those are, those are kind of three things that I'm pretty proud
0: of right now. So on the flip <coughs> side, uh, what, if anything, has been your biggest disappointment? <coughs>
1: I would say a concern for sure. Um, concern. I'm concerned about the affordability issues uh, that that we're facing in Nova Scotia across the country. Um, but you know the the record high inflation, the um, the high interest rates, um, the cost of living, the impact of the federal carbon taxes. So there's a number of factors that are really. I know um, there's a, a lot of Nova Scotians that are, are struggling with the with affordability issues. So. You know, we, we've we've tabled a couple of budgets where we've tried to do targeted supports to support Nova Scotians. Um, we'll continue to do that. There'll be another budget tabled uh, in uh, tomorrow, um, at the time of taping tomorrow. Uh, but uh, we'll continue to invest in Nova Scotians. But I am concerned about the affordability issues station in Nova Scotians.
0: You want to give us any <coughs> hints about your budget? It'll be good. <laughs> 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 ah, good answer. Um, so uh, there's a bunch of topics. Uh, Tim, that I want to talk about. Uh, I want to start with population growth. Uh, you, your mm. ambition is to grow <clears throat> the population of Nova Scotia to 2 million by mm. 2060. I remember when that first came out, people rolled their eyes. They said, oh, f- that's dreaming." Uh, mm. But uh, mm. I think most people uh, who considered it a very ambitious goal at the time are maybe changing their mind on that, because at our current rate of population growth, uh, you know, we're going we're to see that number achieved. But I want to ask you: Why is it important to essentially double the population of the province in the next thirty years or so?
1: Yeah. So, the, so the population growth is—you know—people have mixed feelings on it, for sure.
0: There's no question about that because yeah,
1: growth is not always easy. Um, it's not without its challenges, and certainly we we have our, our challenges, uh, and so some of the growth contributes to that. But we are we are growing. We zoom past a million people. Um, and, but I think that the you know, the real Significant thing that we can't lose sight of uh, in, in this province is: is people drive economies. Like people are the ones who drive economies, not governments. Not it's people. So if we have people uh, living in the province, you know, uh, they're they're consumers. They're contributing in so many ways. So you know, I, I we we were we were struggling to get a million people. Uh, when, when, I, when I launched that ambitious goal, like it's a stretch goal for sure, you know, to 2060. Uh, but we we're struggling to get a million people. We've kind of zoomed past that. So there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, but uh, honestly, we, you know, fly over this province. There's lots of space for people. You know, we can, we can, we can double the population of this province. We have a lot to offer. Uh, but we need to plan for that growth we need to invest in the infrastructure and we, we need to have the, the housing and these types of things so there's a number of government policies that we've initiated to plan for the growth but the bottom line is you know if, if we didn't plan for the growth before and we've been kind of kind of caught a bit by surprise by it, that's okay we'll deal with that now but we can't we can't so we need to continue to strive for growth because people are the ones that will drive this province forward and and we, we want to welcome more of them
0: Well, you know, for a really long time, I was an advocate for population growth and immigration. Mm -hmm. I actually believed that one time we would never see that population growth and immigration. Mm. And then the last year alone, uh, the population increased about 30,000 or almost 3%. Uh, As you already alluded to, there are increasing concerns about the pace of population growth uh, and the strains that's placing on housing, healthcare and education. Uh, Are you concerned about the current pace of growth and is the current pace of growth sustainable, 3%? Yeah, we
1: need to, we need to plan for it. So we need, be, we need to be smart about it. So Nova Scotia uh, would, would normally, kind of normally, I guess, pre-COVID stuff, would grow by about 5,000 people a year. So hmm. 20,000 people would move here and 15 would move away and we'd be kind of net, net five. That was kind of the way it was in this province. A lot of them might come here for university, post-secondary you know, uh, institutions. Uh, so, 5,000 was kind of the number. So, in the year over year numbers I just saw, it was almost 40,000. So, not five, 40. That is significant, significant growth, right? So, um, it's not without its challenges. We see the challenges in, in healthcare and in housing for sure. But I remember I was, I was talking to a group of people one day and I said, Look, um, the thing is, when people move here, they don't always bring a doctor and they don't bring a house with them. And somebody put their hand up and said, "Well, I brought a doctor. My wife's a doctor, <laughs> right?" So, so yes, in that in that population growth we're seeing, there are a lot of healthcare professionals, and there are a lot of tradespeople. Uh, so we, we need to be thoughtful on how we grow. Um, I, I I I know that uh, it is an area where where people you know can it can cause concern, and politically, it's kind of an area where people can kind of try to rile people up. But um, I, I, I can't lose sight of the fact that the, uh, the opportunities that we have in this province right now are so significant. This moment in time for this province. And we can't look away from those opportunities. We have to push towards them. And a growing population is how we'll get there. But we have our responsibility as government to plan for it and we'll, we'll, we'll do our best there for sure.
0: So <clears throat> much of the population growth is Halifax-centric. I guess we can blame Wendy for that. Um, <laughs> In fact, about two-thirds of the population growth is coming to the city. Uh, what needs to be done to better distribute pop- population growth to other parts of Nova Scotia?
1: Well, it's interesting on the growth that we've had. Every county in the province has grown. Every single one that has grown, like that's, that's a remarkable stat, right, so, so um, Halifax is an incredible city, for sure. There's lots of good things happening. The energy in this city is pretty remarkable. Uh, But there are so many beautiful places you go down to the valley and see what's happening, you know with with the industry down there Uh, Honestly a couple hour drive from here. you could be in literally one of the best golf courses in the world internationally ranked just a couple hour drive, you know, and all of it surrounded by 13,000 kilometers of coastline beaches hiking trails amazing amazing scenery. It's a beautiful province Uh, and we want people to Know it exists and experience that too. So, so through the settlement process, through the recruitment process, you know, we're always kind of making sure that people are aware of the of the opportunities. And and as we grow um, industry, there's so many so many opportunities for industry growth in, in rural Nova Scotia. So I think it's a it's an educational process. But <clears throat> look, people are always going to want to you know a certain number of people are always going to live in a city, and they're going to like that and they're going to want that. And, and maybe at another point in their life, they want to. Move to a more rural area but we, we saw during COVID as, as many areas did that people kind of when they started to reassess their lives and balance their lives there's a lot of there's a lot of growth in in rural communities and working from home helps with that there's so many there's so many aspects of it but it's just we i think we all have an obligation to make sure people are aware of uh, what this province has to offer so if you meet somebody who just moved to nova scotia and they're living in halifax and Take them for a drive to the valley, or to point them on a on a road trip they can do, and, and they'll 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 move around because there's incredible opportunities throughout the province.
0: One of the limitations <coughs> has always been high access to high speed in, internet. Uh, where do we stand on that right now?
1: The, like this is a this is a this is kind of a still a, a real thing the, the communications issues for sure. But the internet part of it, I think you know we've we've made incredible progress on the internet part of it for sure with Starlink and some of the incentives that we put forward as a government to you know help with the initial setup costs. I think the internet thing we've made a lot of progress on that. The cell service is still a is still a. It's still a nut to crack, I guess I would say. But you know, we <clears throat> just even heading into Christmas there, we put out some new RFPs to try to re- really make sure we have full coverage. It's a safety issue. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a, I think the United Nations says it's a human right to have access to cell and, and uh, how are you gonna, how are you gonna, ha- how you gonna survive if you don't have it? So we understand the importance of it, but I think we'll see significant progress, and technology is helping too. Like the, the. the uh, the satellite stuff is is significant. So there's work to be done on that that area, uh, but progress is being made. Uh,
0: The housing market is under a lot of pressure with availability and affordability, um, you know, heading a list of concerns. Uh, Obviously, we have an imbalance currently in terms of supply and demand. We had Duncan Williams, the CEO of the Construction Association, Nova Scotia, on our podcast recently. And uh, you know, he, he said that to meet the housing demand, we're gonna have to triple the number of homes being built by 2030, at the same time that we're gonna lose about 40% of mm-hmm. our current workforce uh, due to aging. What is, your government, uh, what is your government doing to address the issue of housing supply mm-hmm. and labor force uh, requirements?
1: Yeah, so we need, we need more housing and we need it we need faster. So that's a, the more faster my motto in government, that, uh, but so we, we, did a, we did an assessment, Minister Lohr and his team did a full assessment of kind of what they think the needs are, and it, it, the needs are significant. I think there was a need for almost 40,000 additional homes over, over five years, like it's, it's real, right? <clears throat> so we, we've kind of uh, taken some targeted approaches on the supply side. Um, definitely looking at opportunities to use provincial land for housing. So we made a bunch, b- bunch available and asked for tenders. What would you do with this piece of provincial land? Other other incentives um, around like uh, backyard suites and stuff, trying to push that, trying to understand the impact of Airbnb and some of the other sharing um, I- initiatives on, on the housing stock. So there's a number of things happening, and we have to remember that it's... Um, it's across the entire housing spectrum. So, so we, we made significant investments in, um, in, in affordable housing, over 17,000 uh, new units will be made more affordable uh, over the next couple of years in public housing. I think the first investments the government has made in, in public housing stock in, in 20 or 30 years is so mm-hmm. so significant. <clears throat> but, but also, just kind of understanding that um, the housing market will change too and what people are looking for has to adapt and there's lots of moving parts to it. Student housing is a big part. So we, we, we're investing in student housing at, at community college campuses, trying to work with CBU on, on some opportunities up there. So um, so there's, there's, there's a, lo- a, a lot of energy uh, going into like how do we, how do we catch up. And on the labor side, so on the labor side, this is, you know, this goes back to the population growth thing. I mean, our demographics, we're, we're, we're all getting older, um, and, but, but actually with the population growth we, we experienced, <coughs> excuse me, the, the average age of our uh, population decreased last year by the largest decrease in 100 years. Um, the average age actually decreased from 44.8 years old to, to 44.2 years old, <laughs> and, and that might not sound like a lot, but on a million people, it means a lot more younger people stuck around or moved here, so, so we'll, we'll continue to do that. <clears throat> Some of it is government policy on the, on, the, on the labor side for construction industry in particular. The most program that we have, the more opportunities for skilled trades, under that program, anyone who's under 30 years old working in a skilled trade, doesn't pay any uh, personal provincial income tax on their first 50 grand. So that's a significant tax incentive, encouraging people to get into the trades over the, the longer term, encouraging younger tradespeople to come here or stay here, it's having it's having an impact. But we also, Minister Balser just announced a uh, $100 million investment in the apprenticeship program. Okay. We, so we need, we need more people, apprentices, and, and that 100 million is, it, it crosses the spectrum, of course, advertising and encouraging people to get into um, skilled trades and the apprenticeship programs, but also recognizing for those that are working there that need to take on an apprentice, they're kind of busy too, so try to incent them to take, take on a younger people, those that are in the program would still compensate them when they have to leave work to go do a training module or something. So it's a hundred million dollar investment in the labor force plus the most, uh, the most program. So, so look, these are all government policy designed to, to address problems. I mean, no single one of them will totally solve the problem, but it's, it's all progress and momentum towards the same thing. So there's real challenges, uh, but lots of initiatives on, on getting housing built for sure, and lots of initiatives on, on encouraging people build them.
0: Right. <clears throat> uh, one of the consequences <clears throat> of the housing crisis is the rise in homelessness everywhere across the country, really. <clears throat> There's been a lot of finger pointing <clears throat> between the various levels of government, Tim, about who is responsible for dealing with the homeless issue. I'd, I'd like to ask you, what are your government's key strategies to address this problem?
1: There's no finger pointing in politics. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, it is like a, a lot of these things are kind of shared responsibilities. So there's always, you know, how do, how do we share it? How do we divvy up the responsibility? Uh, but certainly, you know, people living rough, the the the, the homelessness issue that we see, um, definitely in HRM, but across the province and every community I go to, there's there's you know there's people people that are, are living rough. So so we we try to. Um, Make sure that there is uh, shelter space, that there is other transitional housing opportunities available, so we can get people from outside into more comfortable inside situations. We we don't want people we don't want people comfortable outside. We want them you know inside uh, and comfortable. So, so we've kind we, of you know, we've worked with a number of you know partners and, and not for profits and a lot of a lot of churches trying to open up space to have shelter space available. So. Uh, we we want to we give people the options. And, and I guess one of the things that I've really learned in this, in this space is, is um, um, there's a number of reasons that, you know another, num, a number of life circumstances that can, that can lead people to, to a certain point that they are at. <clears throat> you can offer a lot of help, but until the person is ready to accept the help, you can't force them. And well, we've seen that with some of the, and you know, we've had vacant shelter space in the city here, in Halifax. And, and people living, living rough, and we wanted to get them inside, but we've gotta, so the wraparound supports are, are so important uh, to every, every person is unique, and we have to recognize that and be compassionate about that, so we're, we're, we try to lead with compassion, um, but understand that we have to meet that person right at the right place, so, so uh, the investments in, in shelters, are, are, those are good investments in, in people, and, and we're, we're hopeful that they, they help people transition.
0: A uh, recent communication I saw from the uh, city on, the, on their designated uh, uh, evictions <clears throat> indicated that they now, the people remaining in the, on the Grand Prairie in Victoria Park are considered unhousable. In other words, people will not accept them in the temporary shelters that are there. So, you know, what can be done about that segment?
1: I, that's not a term I've heard. And it's certainly not one that I would accept. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not familiar with where that came from, but it, it, it is true that there are different circumstances for different people. You know, some some people who are, are living rough are just really in a rough patch, you know, for for whatever mm-hmm. reasons. It might be some family situation. Um, some are struggling with addictions and mental health. Mm-hmm. Right? So so we just need to understand that, meet them where they're at, uh, but but certainly. Uh, I think that um, I, I, that's not a term that I would be familiar with, and I certainly wouldn't accept it if it was advanced to me.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I want to turn to your, your big promise, which is health care. Um, we recently had Karen Oldfield, who's the interim CEO of the Health Authority, <clears throat> on the podcast, uh, that, that, who talked about the, the initiatives and innovations underway to address uh, access <clears throat> to primary care. And by the way, I, I, I want to make this editorial comment. I think your decision to, to appoint somebody from outside the healthcare mm. system was the right decision because mm. you can't get innovative thinking mm. by doing the same old thing over and over again. And I can't, if anybody's listened to that podcast, if you haven't listened to it, you'll get what, you'll know what I mean. I'm trying stuff that nobody else would have tried, uh, the expansion of uh, service delivery through other, other means like pharmacies yeah. and that sort of thing. Mm. That would have never happened under the existing conditions. So you credit. Thank I know you got criticized for that, but I want to give you public credit for doing that because I think it was the right thing to do. Um, and you know, your government's not been afraid to spend money <laughs> on healthcare. Um, so let's start there on the spending. How much has the budget for healthcare increased in the past two years? A lot.
1: Um, <laughs> we, we, are, we are investing in, in healthcare, we're investing in Nova Scotians. Uh, I think. When um, the 2020, 2021 election campaign was on, I, I, was, I, I, was, I tried to be pretty clear with Nova Scotians that you know, this was the time to be investing and um, in making sure that people had access to healthcare, that we had, had the services they want, a healthy, healthy economy requires healthy people, right? So, so what, what actually when we came into office, the, the healthcare budget, everything under kind of that umbrella, which covers a couple things, was in the range of um, 4.5 billion dollars 4.5 billion um, I think the budget that's that that would be tabled is is somewhere close to six so that's a significant increase that that, in, that increase um, in, in, in investment would be in um, in people we had huge labor shortages we still have some but I mean so obviously the, the, the wages would went up investing in um, in, in, in technologies investing in Infrastructure. Uh, just trying to trying to get the system to to a, a place that it can function. And I, and I think sort of my my kind of approach. A, a so those numbers are not lost to me. I don't want anyone to think that this is some kind of frivolous thing. I'm, I am a, a chartered accountant. Uh, actually, when I got the uh, uh, FCPA and was made a fellow, I called my friend and I said, "Yeah, I thought you had to be old to be an FCPA." And he goes, "Yeah, you do." <laughs> so, uh, so we, we watch it closely, right? We try to we try to make sure that we're we're getting. And, and I think when, with the investments that we're making through technology and the innovation hub and trying to really we're, we're leading in so, in many of these categories, we'll we'll ultimately we have to accept that we were so far behind with the wait lists and and the hole we had to dig out of. We'll have to overbuild a system and we're gonna overbuild the system and then we're gonna right size the system. So we are investing right now and that's probably overbuilding in some, some facets and then we'll right size it once we ha- have more uh, t- technology and we can do things a little more smoother. But the, but the budget is, is significant and um, uh, Nova Scotians are starting to see the impact of that. I do think it's turning. I'm hearing more positive stories now. Than I used to. Than I heard when I first came into office, and there'll be more and more of that. But uh, but it, it's it's
0: real money. There's no question about that. Yeah. So the the primary focus of that increased <clears throat> spending has been on people, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I want to just ask you what your key strategies are uh, mm. um, that you've implemented already to improve uh, primary care access.
1: Yeah. So th- th- this is a, such a such an important aspect of the healthcare system. The primary care aspect of it. And um, we've opened up different channels. Um, I think I was looking at some numbers just yesterday. On like, Just in the, in the month of January, um, over 70,000 Nova Scotians accessed primary care through what we would call a new channel that we've opened up. So those channels would be uh, pharmacies with the pra- Patient Access to Care Act. We, we really, really kind of unleashed the potential of pharmacists, let them do what they're trained to do. I use the example, it was kind of like, imagine being a plumber and moving to Nova Scotia and somebody saying, you can be a plumber, but you can't fix sinks. That's kind of what we were doing with a lot of our healthcare professionals on the scope side of things. So, so pharmacists are seeing a lot of people, I think 28,000 people over the last few months have gone to a pharmacist for a strep test I actually know where every single one of those people would have went <laughs> if they didn't have a pharmacy option to go to. They went have went to the emergency department. So, so the pharmacy clinics. Then we have uh, the next layer on that is is the primary care uh, clinics at pharmacies where there is a nurse practitioner or a healthcare professional there to actually you can sit down and have an appointment. Uh, we have mobile clinics now that show up in communities. Um, Dr. John Ross, that was a concept he had. Uh, they've, they've seen thousands and thousands of people. The mobile clinic turns up in the community. That's a new access uh, point. Uh, urgent treatment centers, and, and of course, virtual care. Um, virtual care is is not for everything, um, but it is for a lot of things. Um, and and through the app, through the Get Care, you can go, and it will try to off. This is actually one of the one of the reasons we came up with the app. I was talking to a gentleman on the street, and he said, "Hey, I don't know why people are complaining about the healthcare system. I'm actually pretty happy." I took my daughter to the IWK. I was in and out in three hours. You're diagnosed, she got my. my said three hours, that's pretty good. Can I ask what the diagnosis was? He said, yeah, it's a strep, strep throat. I said, man, did you know you could have went to the pharmacy down the street, 10 minutes in and out? He's like, no, I didn't know that. So the app is trying to, through the get care, direct people and inform them of the options. I bet you there's a lot of people in this room didn't know about some of those options that I just talked about, and there's a lot more. But through the app, it'll direct you to the most appropriate place. So, so we're opening up uh, channels to, to 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 care, and people are using them, and they're helpful. Yeah, uh,
0: was Nova Scotia the first to expand the use of uh, care through pharmacies?
1: Yeah. So the pharmacists, I think the pharmacists have the the, the broadest scope um, in the country right now. Or Alberta is maybe right there too, but but certainly. Yeah, we, we've kind of, they're, they're highly trained individuals. They're professional and they, they're respected in their communities. So, so unleashing their potential was kind of a, a no-brainer, but uh, we, we've done that
0: now. Uh, a, a supplementary on that, uh, you seem uh, to be willing to use the private sector in the delivery of publicly funded services. You've done a, a few things already. Do you want to talk about your philosophy on that?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's all part of the, um, the, the many hands <laughs> philosophy, right? Uh, Just just let everyone do what what they can do. So we actually, a good example, I think, would be like eye-related surgeries, right? Well, even go back further than that. I mean, most people in here that would have the COVID vaccination probably went to a pharmacy to get it. And you probably didn't ask who was paying. You just went and got it and that was that, right? So um, publicly funded through a private system, right? So we, we, that, that worked well for, for Nova Scotians. And with eye surgeries, we're, we're doing an incredible amount of eye surgeries at what would otherwise be to, determined as private clinics, right? So you can go to the infirmary or the VG or get it, or you, you want to go to this clinic on Spring Garden Road and you can get in next week, then fill your boots, right? So giving people these options. But they, they exist in, in, our, in our communities. Um, and we need to, we need to, it has to be everything focused on that patient. Getting the care they need when they need it. So, so we're we're definitely open to that. So we, we continue. There's there's a number of areas where we'll continue to expand. But so I believe in the, I believe in the publicly funded system. I really do. I mean, our Medicare system is on the ropes in many ways. You don't have to go too far. I mean, you pick up any community newspaper, and somebody will tell you some story about something that went wrong. But so it's on the ropes. But I honestly believe it can be. It can be saved, and it's valuable, and it's it's part of our, our DNA, and we're, that's what we're focused on.
0: Well, I think the other thing you did recently that I, I thought was uh, good, you allowed uh, physio uh, and chiropractors, to, did you not, to be able to order X-rays? Is that so yeah? Bad? So
1: this is so, so I I started doing these uh, healthcare summits where we do them quarterly, and we have everyone in the room you know, from the universities, from the, the labor side, from the Doctors Nova Scotia, Pharmacy Association, Physio, Physiotherapists Association, and we just have a frank discussion and look each other in the eyes of what's possible, right? So, so, so as a result of those discussions, you, you, you start to see physios in emergency departments to deal with somebody who had a fall, right? Um, you start to see um, physios being able to send people for x-rays, uh, and uh, these, are all, these are all things that are just exactly what's needed for that patient at that, at that point in time, the right skill set. Uh, if, if we can get people into the healthcare system at the right place, they'll be much better served.
0: Actually, it's a cost saving, to too. Yeah, it's right. much, much, much yeah. more efficient, yeah. So uh, Stephen McNeil famously <laughs> promised everybody would have their own doctor. Anybody remember that promise? Um, mm-hmm. And I think he really thought he could, but it, it wasn't, being delivered anywhere in Canada at the time still isn't, and it's really, literally, not practical anymore. Because, uh, you know, it's clear that family doctors now prefer to, you know, operate in a different way, have a life balance, that sort of thing. Your governments recognized that. I, I think clearly, um, Karen told us that there's a hundred collaborative practices already established around the province, and that at that time she said there were at least 30 more in progress. Do you think it's time to reset the expectations of the public with regard to the delivery of primary care? And, and, and if so, what is the new promise? So I think the, the expectation should
1: not change. Um, everyone has a right to expect that when they need care, they'll be able to get it. Like that expectation is, has traditionally been, um, if you, you, know, you kind of wake up in the morning, don't feel great, you call your family doctor, and that's the way it is, right? That's, that's changed, for sure, right? So I actually think that if we can, um, with, 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 the, with the app, I don't know if I mentioned the app. But, <laughs> uh, I think that you know, if we look out five, 10 years from now, when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel good, you're just gonna say, oh, let me go on the app and see where I can go, right? So um, I, I think having um, consistent care from the same provider, a family doctor, is a comforting thing, for sure. So I, I want that experience. I want people to have that attachment. But I also recognize that, you know, as the world changes, the delivery of healthcare has to change too. So, so my son's 22 years old. He, um, he doesn't have a family doctor. He's he's used the virtual care. Um, I actually he was he he was complaining he had a, a, a little cough and chest thing for a couple of weeks and. Like that kid's never going to the emergency department. He's a 22 year old, like he's not going to see anyone. I said, why don't you go on the app and, and see if you can, and, and uh, I saw him two hours later, I came back. I said, where are you going? He goes, I'm going up to the pharmacy to get a prescription. I went on the app and I had a virtual appointment and they prescribed this thing and I'm gonna go and get it. And he felt better three days later. He doesn't actually, he's not interested in a family doctor. He's not worried about it. So the system can provide what he needs. But there are other people, his grandmother, needs a family doctor, she has health issues, right? So, so I think we just have to be um, open-minded enough to know um, that what you need might not be what you've been conditioned to expect. Um, but that, have the confidence to know that what you need will be there. Like, that's, that's my, his promise was a doctor for every Nova Scotian. If I was gonna make a similar promise, I would say, I, you know, I, I, it's my goal to make sure that what you, when you need it, there's gonna be something there. And we'll get you into the system. And even with the virtual care, um, if you have a virtual appointment, and I just somebody in here actually today told me that um, they use virtual care and and, it, and how great it was for them. But if you, if that person, that professional you're talking to, says, "I really want you to see somebody," we can get you into a clinic in probably in three or four days. Like it's even quicker than if you had a family doctor, right? So, so the model is changing. Absolutely, 100 percent. And um, our, our responsibility is to make sure that the appropriate part of that model is, 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 is there for you. <clears throat> and, and with the progress that's happening, with the changes that are happening, you know, there's work to be done for sure, but it is incredible the access points that are available to each and every one of you in, in your communities that you might not, might not be aware of. So we're trying to make sure you're aware of them so that you can have the comfort to know that it is there. And we're trying different things to get, to get the, the message out because often when I tell people, there, I didn't know that. So we are, we are testing uh, something else out, um, uh, texting information with uh, information on what's happening in the government if you're interested. If you're interested, you take your phone out now and you text 22... <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> come on, you've got to get it right.
1: No, no, I didn't see any phones <laughs> ago. That's what I was worried about. 22022, 22022, sign up. And, and they'll sign up and they'll put you on the, on the, on the you'll get information. And there's a, there's a video that we just came out this week that talks about some of the innovations in healthcare in this province. It's a, a, lot of, a lot of colleagues of mine, the premier level from across the country are reaching out and saying, wow, I'm hearing about this in Nova Scotia. What did you do? How did you do it? And uh, it's incredible that the leadership we have in our working in our healthcare system in this province. So I do wanna put a spotlight on the, those people who are actually making it, making it happen. Uh, but um, the model's changing there 's no question, and I, and I just say let's let 's be, let's be open minded
0: enough um, to, yeah. to, to realize that so in our <coughs> podcast with Karen i I said to her i said you 're doing so many really interesting things, but not many people know about them. Are you happy with where you are in the communication side no, uh, like and this is a, this
1: is a challenge for sure um, we I was talking to uh, I was back home in Pictou County, I was talking to a group of people they're my they're my local uh, riding association executive. They've been with me for ten years, and we started talking about healthcare. And they said, "We, we kind of knew you were probably getting things done up there in Halifax, but we had no idea about some of these things." So I think it's really really important that people know for their own mental health and their own pride in this province that things are happening in this province, and we can be proud of it. Uh, and we can get what like you said before. I want events like get our mojo back. Right? There's a lot to be a lot to be proud of. Um, and some of the things that are happening in healthcare, led by incredibly smart uh, people, um, are, are significant, and people have a right to know. So, so we, we're going to up our game on that, and yeah. you'll see a bit of the upping of the game if you text two two zero two two sign up. To,
0: I watched your, you. Might even hear about I watched your, your YouTube uh, thing that you put out. Uh, I think it was only yesterday. It was pretty good, actually.
1: You can get it if you text 22022,
0: (laughs) you too. I'm I'm just giving you the (laughs) softballs, you hit them out of the park. So let's change topics. Uh, Nova Scotia has had a windfall of revenues as a consequence of the growing population with more people working and paying taxes. At the same time, Nova Scotia remains one of the heaviest tax provinces in Canada this is a business audience anybody yeah. interested in that topic <laughs> and, and and the only one uh, where the minimum de- deduction has really not been indexed to inflation leading to bracket creep I wonder uh, what are your government's plans um, you know to work to make the tax environment more competitive in order to attract capital and people to our province
1: yeah so our taxes are are high for sure um, and they are they are they are an issue in 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 decisions that companies make on where to locate, it's it's on the list of things. It might not be their top item, but it's on the list, and certainly is it in this uh, budget? Since uh, certainly people put <laughs> it in their in their decisions. But what I what I would say is the last um, the the budgets we've tabled the last two for sure. Uh, we've tabled deficit budgets. Like we we, we we get at the beginning of the year, and we say, "What's the year going to look like?" It's a deficit. The last two have ended up in small surpluses yeah, through a combination of you know, exceeding revenue projections and, and fiscal management too, trying to make sure we're, we're doing good things throughout the year. Um, so we wanted to, we knew those investments were necessary and there's still big investments to be made. We, we announced this morning um, investments in, in uh, glucose monitoring uh, and uh, insulin pumps. For those living with diabetes, significant investments to to support support those people that are living with diabetes and and their families. So there's a lot of investing to do, but we needed to get to a point where we could start to focus on other things like taxation. And let me just say, we're
0: very close to that point. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, your government, uh, Nice see- segue-bye. Thank- thanks for doing <laughs> that. Your government continues to run budget deficits, and uh, the public debt continues to grow. I uh, just announced a $1.5 billion capital spending budget for the coming year. Are you worried about the size of the provincial debt, which is, I think, approaching, if it hasn't exceeded $20 billion, and it's costing the province, I think, uh, hundred million dollars in interest payments annually. Do you have any concern about the size of the debt currently? And, uh, and, it, and maybe you can talk about your timetable, because you are a conservative, I think, mm-hmm. uh, when you're gonna return to uh, balanced budgets. Mm.
1: Pro- progressive conservative.
0: Oh, sorry, Pro- progressive.
1: Uh, but um, y- yes, um, the debt, I look at the debt in the context of the impact on the rating agencies. Like that's what, that's my, Kind of number one focus. We don't get offside on on the the rating agencies, and then we try to balance the investments that are needed. Um, So you know, we need we need new infrastructure, some of our schools and hospitals, and certainly our roads. uh, You know, these these types of things are really important investments for the success of an economy. Um, So so we we try to we try to kind of find find that balancing point. I think what I what I what I often say is like uh, as premier and certainly as as a, as a government, we we always want to do a bit more. Like there's no like there's not a lot of projects that come forward and you're like, well that's ridiculous. I mean there's there's a couple, but there's not there's a lot that you're like, gee that's a that's a good initiative, right? So <clears throat> we try to do what we can, and then we always feel like ah, we wish we I wish we could do more. We do what we can, and then maybe we squeeze a little bit more, you know, with the deficits and some of the, some of the stuff. But there's there's um, there's there's a lot of worthy investments. Um, there's and there's a lot of good things happening. So, so I think the the um, the economy is growing, and some of that is is um, from population growth, a big part. Some of it's just you know more economic activity from other initiatives that are happening. So we are growing. And I, I think the, the financial situation of the province will, will, will stabilize in the, next, in the next certainly few years is kind of my expectation. But there's still a lot of investing to do. And, and I think Nova Scotians are worth those investments.
0: So the next mandate? <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, <clears throat> let's switch topics again. Nova Scotia power will uh, have to stop <clears throat> using coal to generate electricity by, in six years. Mm-hmm. Not very long. I'm not sure what's going to happen to those plants, whether they'll be closed or maybe uh, repurposed, but uh, recently your government uh, covered more than $100 million in extra fuel costs uh, uh, for power to consumers that ease the cost of electricity uh, a little bit. Recently, uh, Peter Gregg, the uh, CEO of the company, at a recent chamber event, by the way, uh, in the, in the, indicated that the cost impact of uh, moving away from coal or, or coal plants on the consumers is really not known. It's a big question mark. Muskrat Falls was intended to my, uh, mitigate the uh, impact of closing coal uh, uh, plants. Uh, what is your government uh, doing to, you know, help consumers in the transition to green electricity and keep electricity rates affordable?
1: Yeah. So. Um this is an important question for sure. Before I answer, is Peter here? I'm just kidding. Uh, no, this is an important question. We, we like uh, Our climate is changing. There's no question about that. We've legislated some pretty uh, significant goals. Uh, they're actually in legislation. I'm just talking points. We actually legislated significant goals uh, to you know, protect our, our, and preserve our, our climate in the best way we can. In an affordable manner. I mean that's the thing, we have, to, we have to balance with the affordability. So I guess a couple of things, so um, one thing is you mentioned that the $100, $100 million, that's a, I'm going to call that a financing mechanism. Um, there, is, there is something called the fuel adjustment mechanism, people may be aware of it, but basically when Nova Scotia Power goes to the URB to get their rates at, they estimate how much their fuel is going to cost, and at the end of the year they true it up. and. Um, Guess what direction those true ups have gone the last few years with the price of commodities, right? So there's been big, big deficits that ratepayers have to, have to make them whole. And the, the deficit this year that ratepayers would have had to, to step up and make them whole for is, was a significant number. Uh, just to let that roll through, uh, I, I believe it would have impacted um, residential rates up to 7%, uh, just, to, just to catch up from the cost from you know, the, the, that adjustment mechanism. And and some of the commercial rates up to thirteen percent. Well, obviously that's that's not palatable. So we have a proposal with the URB that says we would we would finance that. Like we'll make them whole. Ratepayers can pay the province back over ten years instead of like in, in one shot. So, but those aren't those aren't long term solutions, right? So we can, we can't keep doing that. Every year, so so this is you know when you're on the impact of fossil fuels and the Muskrat Falls. There's been a lot of issues with Muskrat Falls. It didn't flow, and it's kind trying to catch up now. But there's more cost certainty on some of the renewables, so the cost of wind is coming down significantly. Uh, there there are huge opportunities for our province around tidal technology. Is not there, but but yet, yeah, but it will be, and the cost and the and the cost of but it will be, and when it is, imagine uh, we have the Bay of Fundy. Right. If you took every river in the world and added them together, you may come close to the strength of the Bay of Fundy at the changing of the tides, and it just goes back and forth, and it's completely untapped. Imagine how the energy uh, stability and security we'd have if we could tap into that. Right. So, so we're t- doing a number of initiatives around you know adding adding some of the wind. Um, solar is still expensive, but initiatives to allow people to you know put some solar. On their homes, the heat pumps, you know, so on the on the through efficiency Nova Scotia and some of the programs to uh, help people consume less to get to get away from the the risk of the rate the rate shocks and rate rate changes. But um, but but look, it's the um, the goal is um, probably would be termed ambitious at this stage, the twenty thirty um, for sure. But we, we um, but my commitment is to get there as fast as we can, in in a way that is affordable for people. Uh, they, we still gotta we still gotta live while yeah. while we're preserving the planet for the future. So so uh, focusing on the affordability is re- really really important. Uh,
0: just a few more questions <coughs> before we finish, uh, Tim. Recently, we had Peter Nicholson, the author of Catching the Wind report for the Public Policy Forum on the uh, on the podcast. He believes that Atlantic Canada can become an energy superpower uh, by h- harnessing the abundant. Uh, offshore wind that we enjoy here. Like, today's a good example, I guess, of the wind. Your government recently announced the two, the first two offshore wind farms um, uh, near the Strait of Cancel. Uh, obviously, we have <coughs> regulatory issues to figure out mm-hmm. and how those are gonna be done, but uh, what has to be done for a region to take advantage of this really unprecedented economic opportunity? And by the way, he he said in that podcast, he equates it to uh, hydropower for Quebec, oil and gas for Alberta. That's how he, to put it in, per, in perspective.
1: It's. He, he said super, uh, Nova Scotia could be a superpower. Like, just stop and think about that. It's right. absolutely true. We could be an energy superpower. Like that is that is what the future holds for our province if we if we navigate through this uh, properly. Um, we have incredible wind speeds, um, offshore. Incredible wind speeds onshore incredible wind speeds, and it blows a lot. Yes, um, it, uh, the Nova Scotia legislature opened up for the session yesterday. That's the only place where there's more wind than offshore in Nova Scotia. <laughs> but, but we we but the potential is there for sure. So we're we're trying to to work with uh, a number of companies uh, to make sure we tap that. There are some regulatory challenges, yeah. but ultimately, um, I think the the opportunity with the title, as I mentioned, the wind and and the green hydrogen space. I was at Dow this week for the opening of a, a green hydrogen lab there, where they hmm. like these brilliant lines are doing research on the production of green hydrogen, but the uses of green hydrogen and in different appliances and stuff like that. So, uh, but that potential is is so significant. We could be a superpower, uh, energy superpower. So our government is. We're kind of all in on that. We're 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 focused on that, and we've had great. Um, Great um, support and working relationships with a number of municipalities down in Richmond. they 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 get it. They're doing it, and um, uh, onshore wind uh, through Colchester County. That council, you know, that they they they're they're moving forward. So, and then and then private partners. Um, you know, a, a number. Of, you know, Eastward Energy. Uh, ever, Everwind, I mean, the, these are companies that are, they see the potential and they want to be part of it. So we have every opportunity in this province. We are blessed with natural assets that other jurisdictions would die to have. I think the hydro in Quebec is a good, is a good uh, comparator of what is, what is possible here. But just think about what our economy looks like when we are an energy superpower. And it's not that far away. It's possible.
0: Yeah, so David and I are writing a book about what's happening in our region, and the one thing that we conclude is that if we don't seize the opportunity, it's on us.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh,
0: changing topics again. Uh, to achieve the net zero goal by 2050, <laughs> the uh, mining of critical minerals uh, will have to increase by sixfold. The Mining Association of Nova Scotia has been advocating for a more streamlined regulatory process uh, to reduce the time between the discovery and production of minerals in this province. And it's called for a detailed minerals play fairway mm-hmm. to identify the best mineral opportunities in the province. Uh, what is your pro- uh, government doing to address uh, this, uh, this request?
1: Yeah, it's a, another, another significant opportunity. I mean, critical mineral space, if you think of lithium, I mean, there's, there's significant lithium deposits, one deposit. Um, the economics around that would, would be $6 billion. That's just one. There's other ones, right, that are, and there's interest in, in developing those. So uh, we, we as, a, as a government, we, we developed this critical, uh, critical minerals uh, plan. Um, but I, I would certainly agree with the statement that around, you know, we can, do, we can be a bit easier to deal with as a government. Uh, part of that, um, those discussions are around royalty regimes, mm-hmm. you know, making sure we're, we're fair to those putting the money up and, and investing in the projects, but fair to, to Nova Scotians as well. So, uh, I think the, um, that's an opportunity that not many Nova Scotians have kind of focused on or, or really kind of latched onto, but it's certainly uh, one that is increasingly, increasingly becoming on, on my radar.
0: Just a follow-up question. The the (coughs) province has banned the use of nuclear power and the mining of uranium, yet Mm -hmm. nuclear power is in your (laughs) plan to reduce uh, CO emissions, uh, you know, at least in the plan. Um, uh, What is your position on the use of uh, nuclear power, especially with the small modular reactors that are going on and Mm -hmm. also the mining of uranium? Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm supportive of both. Uh, personally, I am. Um, there's many many areas where the nuclear is being used safely and effectively and cost efficient and clean. Ontario's a great example. Yes, um, and certainly um, new brunswick blaine Higgs is 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 very focused on the the small the small reactors and and there's opportunities there. so so I think uh, for us as a province, we passed we passed significant we we tabled, sorry, we well, hopefully it'll pass, but we tabled significant uh, legislation yesterday around electricity. Uh, this legislation does a couple things. It, it comes out of a, a task force that we put together. They made some recommendations, we accepted. Um, one part of it is around a kind of a restructuring of the UARB to have an energy specific um, body there. Uh, I think the UARB does a good job. Pretty broad mandate though. Everything from bus schedules to power rates, and so we're gonna kind of focus on the, on the power rate thing. And another side of another part of that um, is to have an independent um, uh, system manager. Right now, Nova Scotia Power manages where what what gets turned on, what gets turned off, and, and we think that should be an independent body who, that will open up opportunities for others to get on the grid. So, so that's a legislation that is before the House and will 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 we'll, we'll kind of work its way through the House. Also, as part of that, um, it w- it will allow Nova Scotia Power to 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 purchase and, and use nuclear energy. So that's actually in there. The, the mining of uranium, significant uranium deposits around too, that is, that is something that I personally think we need to, we need to figure out, but it's, an, it's another opportunity. So when you, when you string together all these opportunities for our province, man, the future looks pretty bright. If we don't do it, it is on us,
0: I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. so final question. You've been <coughs> in government a uh, couple of years. You're now experienced. <laughs> How has your vision for Nova Scotia changed, if at all? Um, my my vision
1: for this province hasn't changed at all. Like it, it's 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 it, this is the opportunities are there. We need to build build them up. We we need to collectively just build up build up this province in, in so many different areas where where we can. So so um, I think it's it'll be it's two and a half years for me as premier, and somebody told me that I'm the I'm the seventh longest serving premier of the province. After two and a half years, how's that for a job <laughs> security, right? <laughs> I guess I am experienced, but but uh, look, I believe so strongly in this province. Like, this is such a wonderful province. Uh, I, I talked about the natural beauty and stuff, but the best part of this province is the people, that blue noser spirit to kind of get it done, right? So we have Wonderful people, wonderful opportunities, and my vision for what is possible in this province has not changed one little bit. At different points in time, you know, different, like healthcare has been a focus, will be a focus. Then it'll be building up some of these other opportunities that we've talked about today. So the, maybe the, the tactics change, but what is possible for this province, I never lose sight of that.
0: Uh, Premier, thank you for joining <coughs> us again on I the Insight so. uh, podcast and giving us a, an overview of some really important files. And of course, we wish you well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the
1: show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.